I am <clears throat> privileged to be given the opportunity to stand here and talk to you about the Bible and God and life. I, I'm serious when I say I, I still can't believe it sometimes because I started coming to this church almost 30 years ago. I was just talking to an old friend of mine, and he started coming to this church 30 years ago. <clears throat> and we were just remembering. But anyway, talking like an old guy, the long story short, 12 inciting incidents from the whole Bible. Today, we'll be covering about only 40 years. When we last left the children of Israel, they were at, the, at Mount Sinai. Sinai means thorny. Maybe some of us are in a thorny place. What, what is it that we should do? How should we navigate this? Who are we? So we're going to go on a little road trip today with the children of Israel from Mount Sinai to Canaan. You like road trips? What makes a good road trip? You're right, vomit. No, that's what makes a memorable road trip. My daughter's friend Sophie ate pancakes for breakfast and then we were driving through the Black Hills and then they're just like screeching back there and... Vomit. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it, in life, that, that the things that are memorable are all, often the things that went wrong, the embarrassing things, the failures. And I just want to give away a punchline to every sermon, every sermon that ends up with the redemptive work of Christ and God, and that is that, <clears throat> that uh, failures are where we learn the most. And if we're not too proud, it, we can pass it on. So I want to talk about a failure in my life, and it has to do with road trips. I like road trips. One time we went to visit my sister and her family in Oklahoma. I hadn't traveled in Oklahoma much, but we, we set the course, and it would be about 800 miles, and everything was going fine, making good time. We crossed the border into Oklahoma traveling Interstate 35. In Oklahoma, if you don't know it, they have lots of toll roads. Every so often you had to give the lady or the fellow at the toll booth a few dollars, and then you get to keep going. So we got off of I-35 onto Highway 412, the last stretch into Tulsa and Broken Arrow, a uh, suburb of Tulsa. Well, we hit it. We hit a toll booth and gave the lady a few bucks and drove another 50 miles or so, and we saw an oasis off in the distance, an oasis uh, of golden arches above it. <clears throat> in, a, in, a, in Oklahoma, when for like service stations and things like that, they don't put them on the outside of the interstate. They put it between the lanes of traffic. Did you know that? So you just like driving along and just ease off left into the center in between the two lanes of traffic. And I, I, I eased off and I just pulled straight in. No trouble, no light, no weight. 
right in and I went in to got use their facilities, refresh myself, got a cup of coffee, came back out, got in my car, backed up, turned around, merged back onto the highway. What? What? You wouldn't have. So uh, less than 200 miles to go, easy as pie. We were in about 50 miles. We hit another toll booth. Gave the lady some money and told her to have a nice night. Drove on and on and on. I remember we were listening to an audio book called The E-Myth, Why Most Small Businesses Don't Work and What to Do About It. I recommend it. After a couple hours, I thought we should start seeing the lights of Tulsa by my calculations, but in fact, it seemed that the, ter the terrain was becoming less dense, less populated. I was bemused. I called m my brother-in-law, Tom. I remember we had just finished the book and we were, and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were playing on the radio and I loved that. I was just in a good mood and I, I don't remember what song, but I said to my brother-in-law, we stopped at McDonald's on 412 about 75 miles ago and I can't figure out why we're not there yet. He asked, where are you? Are you? I said, we just passed a sign for Enid. You've been to Oklahoma. <laughs> he was quiet for a bit and then he said, you're going the wrong way. So instead of backing up and going straight onto the, I backed up and it just seemed like it was right to, you know, to turn around. And I turned around and I'd been going the wrong way. So I, I turned off Tom Petty. And I found, because when, when I, this is the truth, like a lot of us men, this is connected to our manhood. This is a part of, what it means to be a man is that you don't go the wrong way. You don't, you don't do these sorts of things. The women folk do that, and then we. <laughs> um, we drove another 50 miles and passed that. Oh, wait, wait. So we, we, I turn around, drive about 30 miles, and I arrived at a toll booth for the third time. And I gave the lady money, and for the third time at the booth, and I said, "Don't wait up for us. We won't be back tonight." And we drove another, I really did. And, the, and I'm sure she was like, what? We drove another 50 miles and we waved at the golden arches. We did not stop. And my brother-in-law has since taken to calling it the Boomerang McDonald's. Because it, you see, it's a terrible feeling not knowing where you're going. Going in circles, unfamiliar territory. Feel like you're wasting time. Wanting to get somewhere and not arriving. You ever been there? Not in a car, necessarily, going the wrong way in Oklahoma, but in a life. I should have been there by now. I had a plan. I thought I knew where I was going. I thought I knew who I was going to be when I got there. And I, I feel like a fool. In the second year after God led Israel out of Egypt, they left Mount Sinai, where Moses brought down the Ten Commandments. It would take them almost 40 years to get to the Promised Land a distance of about 300 miles or so as the crow flies. They almost got there once. They traveled north through the wilderness, and Moses sent out 12 spies to go scope out the land of Canaan. And the spies came back, and two of them, two guys named Joshua and Caleb, they're, the, they're the, these, these optimistic guys. They're, 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 uh, they're like uh, enthusiasts. They're, they're sevens in the Enneagram, if you know what I mean. Uh, <clears throat> they're outgoing and contagious, and they came back. They said, it's great, man. Land of milk and honey. Let's go. This is what God promised to us. And let's go get. And there were 10 other spies. And they said, oh, there is no way. 
The people in the land looked like giants. We felt like grasshoppers compared to them. We should not go up there. They will slaughter us. So there was these two, there were these two saying, let's go. And there were, and how many of you know that, that fear is contagious? Right? Read the op-eds. Watch the news for a while. Listen to some speeches in the, in the political arena. <clears throat> and they're telling us what to be afraid of. And, and we, is, and I'm not saying we stick our heads in the sand, but we, we are the people of the kingdom of God. And we are in this world, but this contagion of fear, this is not, this is not the spirit of God. So fear and anxiety spread through all the people and they became the Shasu, the Shasu. That's what other people in the land called the Hebrews, the Shasu. Shasu means one who wanders around. <clears throat> and it, the scholars say that in the greater Sinai Peninsula, the, the people around, the people groups would see these, these million, hundred, six hundred thousand million people around, just going around and around for years and years. And they were called the Shasu, the people who wander you ever feel like a shasu? And so they had this label on them. When Israel left Egypt, what did they know? They knew how to make bricks. They didn't know how to hunt or farm or fight. There's always this leaving a place, and we don't know enough. We never know enough. And they wished they could go back to Egypt where they were slaves who made bricks all day, every day. But at least they had food and shelter. Sometimes... Sometimes we want to go back to the familiar, even if that place that was familiar was a place of slavery or abuse or addiction or chaos because we are, psychologically, we are attracted to the familiar. And it confuses us about ourselves and other, why would you go back there? Because we know how to navigate it, it's familiar. So the children of Israel traveled in the wilderness for 40 years and things happened. People got old, middle-aged people got old. People who were old when they started out died. Babies grew up, and the little boys got whiskers, and the little girls got married and had babies. Forty years. When they started, <clears throat> like us, they were excited. They knew where they were going. They had an inkling of who they were. But after 40 years, it's like something should have happened by now. And some of us are at those places in our lives where after all this time, I thought I would be somewhere by now. They learned some things about God and about their own selves in that time. My friend and I were talking about learning things about ourselves as we get older, and we don't like some of them. They unlearned some things too. They fought and they made up like us. They were... Their faith soared and they doubted like us. They were faithful to God and they broke their promises like us. They had weddings and baby showers and funerals, but they were still the Shasu. They wandered. Who are we? What kind of people will we be? That's life, boys and girls. There's this famous saying, it took God one day to get Israel out of Egypt and it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel because sometimes even when we leave places, that were maybe harmful or bad for us, it, our mindset stays there. We don't, we know like where we aren't, but
but we don't know who we are. Where will I go and who will I be? And finally, after all those years, Israel was almost there again, right on the edge of Canaan where they were supposed to be. And then Moses died, right when they're about to enter the promised land. And there was Joshua. And now Joshua, remember, was one of those two spies who had some moxie, who came back with a good report. But fear was contagious. But he still had faith. Joshua 1, 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, <clears throat> the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Oh, that's why he's not moving anymore. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river Euphrates. Look around you, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Maybe this is all you need to hear today. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So Joshua sent out spies again. And they went to the city wall, this thick, like 50 feet thick. There are two thick walls. And in between the two walls, there's an inner wall and an outer wall. And then this is how these ancient cities would fortify, right? And then in between, there was a space, and they would build houses in between the walls. And that's where the poorest people would live or the most marginalized people. That's not where you expect to find the grace of God. This is a really important learning from the story uh, of Joshua is that we find grace where we least expect it. No matter how many times we still have this tendency to decide where we are going to see the power of God, where God will speak to us, through whom. And so they, they meet this woman living in a house between the two thick walls of Jericho, and her name was Rahab, and she wasn't no Sunday school teacher. She wasn't like Edie, who took Scott Kissel to vacation Bible school. This lady was a prostitute. What are they doing talking to her? And she told the spies... You're afraid of the people of Jericho. She said, these people are afraid of you. They could barely believe their ears. Afraid of us? The Shasu? The ones who wander around? <clears throat> it's an interesting psychological phenomenon that sometimes the thing or the person or the institution that we fear the most fears us. You ever heard that saying? Oh, don't worry about, about that spider. It's more afraid of you than you are of it. Really? You ever meet somebody important and you get nervous? Don't know what to say to them? 
Do you know that some of those people that, that we think are important, they're just as nervous and insecure and anxious as us? To be human is to be that. You think, they're, you, you think they're, you're afraid of them? They're afraid of you. They heard what the Lord has done. It's something when the Spirit of God is on you, not in an arrogant way, but when, when we really settle into the heart of Christ and we find our identity in Christ, there's a confidence, and there's, we, don't have to, we don't have to bluster or brag, but have you ever felt that, like when I'm right with God and I'm not, like the stuff that I was worried about, I'm not worried about? She said, they're afraid of you. So the spies brought the report back to Joshua, and then this, Joshua 3.1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from, be careful of this word, boys and girls, Shittim, and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is something that, the, that God instructed them to create in which they put the Ten Commandments and on top of which they put a, a, a gold cover called the, the Mercy Seat and then two cherubim. And God said, that's where I'll meet you between the cherubim on the mercy seat. Mercy means loving kindness. It's interesting that, that God said, make a place for me to meet you. And, it, and it's just something to think about. What are we creating into which God will manifest what are we creating in our places of work, in school, in our neighborhoods? What, what is it that we build? And this is the place where God meets with us. So he says, follow the ark. <clears throat> then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it, Joshua told the people. Consecrate yourselves. Get your head straight. Prepare your heart. Clear your head. Stay off the dope. Stay clean. Be sober. Think. Do some interior work. Get ready. This is serious stuff. Pay attention. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And then skip down a little bit. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as they set foot in the Jordan, you aren't going to believe this. I know you don't believe this. Its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. You step in. Step in. 
and I'll, I'll stop the water. And so that's what they did, and that's what happened. And they crossed Jordan on dry land. And then God said to them, set up 12, 12, take 12 stones out of the riverbed and take them up on the bank and set them down there. And I want you to build a memorial. And I want you to call it Gilgal. And here's why I want you to do that, because I want you to remember. Because we forget. I forget. And so they took 12 stones and they set them up. And then he said, so one day they'll say to you, what are these, what is this monument that you built? What does this mean? And you will say, this is Gilgal. What Gilgal, what's, what's that mean? Well, that means a wheel rolling, a wheel rolling. Why did, he, why did you call it that? <clears throat> and the Lord said, and this is my favorite part of the whole story. The Lord said, well, it's because today I have rolled away your shame. The shame of Egypt, the shame of wandering, the shame of fear and addiction and getting it wrong. Today I've rolled away your shame. And it reminded me of the very first story of a man and a woman who were naked and unashamed. Remember? The man and the woman who knew no shame because they were innocent. But they lost their innocence and they felt exposed, fooled, ashamed. We know shame, don't we? We do shame well. The man and the woman who were innocent, naked and unashamed, like a little two-year-old running around naked in front of the insurance salesman who doesn't know any better. But we look at that kid and, and we tell him to put some clothes on. But at the same time, we say, oh, that kid is free. Do you remember what free felt like? Do you remember what naked and unashamed felt like? But they... They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, remember? They did. So it's like how it goes for us in life. We don't know enough. We're innocent and unashamed. And then we, we get in there a little bit into the relationship, into the, and then we know. And now shame comes after that because we know too much. It starts early. Shame on you. It's the most familiar place. It's the one of the first places we remember. It is our Egypt. And then it reminded me of Jesus who said one time, I am the way back to the place you thought was gone forever, to innocence. Jesus said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. To we who are the shasu, to we who have wandered, to we who have known what we needed to leave. And we left, but our mindset was still there. These Shame, sin, slavery, addiction, fear, going in circles, hitting the same walls, struggling with the same failures. We know what we want to leave, but how do we get to promise? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. Now I want to talk about us, and then we're going to write a few things on the back of our programs. Well, you are, I'm not. <clears throat> you and me. What is the wandering? What are the circles we're going in? The tolls we keep paying. It's been too long. We've given up on change. It's time for a pattern interrupt. What is the shame that haunts us? What is the wall you couldn't imagine ever coming down? Or the river at flood stage we don't think we could get across? What is the hope, the promise we gave up on? If he is the God who can stop a river and knock down a 50-foot-thick wall with his breath, do we qualify 
for participation with this God. What is it we wish we could conquer, get over, get around? Do you believe in change? After 40 years, I'm 52. I've done my share of wandering. Five and a half years ago, a friend of mine told me I needed to start working out. I made fun of him. I made jokes about it. I made jokes about I prefer to watch television and eat potato chips. I lifted up my shirt and showed him my belly. I told him it wasn't big enough yet. But I finally went. Now you say, working out, that ain't spiritual, man. Good thing you only speak maybe two or three times a year. <laughs> well, that ain't, but it's movement. Well, I might disagree. It is movement. Sometimes the thing that seems the least spiritual is the step, is the movement that we need. I'm not here to brag because Lord knows there's plenty to work on still. But I will tell you that movement creates movement. In the past five and a half years, I have changed. And it started with one pattern interrupt. Moving from one place of comfort. I love comfort. I love familiarity. Sometimes we get forced out of it forced out of comfortable places, but sometimes it's God saying, you step in and I will add my power to that. And sometimes the universe responds and God responds. And in the last five and a half years, that movement has created other movement. And I'd love to talk to you about it sometime, that I have received so much from one step and I just see things that, and it's almost like dominoes, you know, like you tip one. And I'm so grateful for all the ways that God is speaking to me in places through prostitutes. Not me, prostitutes, you know, like in the story. But I mean, yeah, that was awful. But through the least expected places where God is beginning to speak. And I didn't know God was speaking, but I can trace so much of it back to just one move, one step. I have learned that what I need to conquer in life isn't something out there. We think, this is what I need to overcome. This is the relationship that happened. This is the person. This is the loss. This is the system or the institution that keeps me from overcoming. And I'm not minimizing the reality that this world doesn't work the same for everybody. I'm not denying that. But I am believe, I do believe, from my perspective and my experience, <clears throat> that the conquering that I need to do isn't out there. It isn't some force beyond me. It's inside of me. It is my false self that I have spent too much of my life trying to build image, ego, brand, profile, impressive res resume, charming performance. This is my Egypt. This is my wandering. I have coddled my shame. I have fed my shame. I have nurtured my shame. And, and stayed in places, you know, of stagnancy. This is my Egypt. This is my wandering. This is my Jordan River. This is where Jesus leads me when he says, I will roll away your shame. I will take you back to innocence and unashamed. Wise as serpent, innocent as doves. This is the heart of Christ. All I want to conquer is my own false self. All I want to find 
is home, the promised land, who I really am in Christ, Christ before me and Christ behind me, Christ inside of me and Christ around me. God is speaking all the time to take us home to the heart of Christ. Takeaways. Now, last thing we're going to do is fill in those blanks. The words of Joshua <clears throat> as a sort of a metaphor. So this Joshua says these things to these, these folks. And what I want to do today is take what he said and use that as, a, as some prompts for us, as, as illustration, as direction, as spiritual direction, um, as imagery, what Joshua said to the people on the wrong side of the river and what he says to us. Follow the ark. Follow the ark. This is the presence of God. This is prayer. Are we praying? I don't mean long prayers, but just prayers. Like there's a prayer in the Bible, and it's a prayer that I pray every day when I'm nervous, when I'm afraid, when I'm in places of discomfort, jealous, angry, whatever. And it is the prayer that Jesus commanded, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Mercy means loving kindness. Follow the ark. Where is that place? Where's that mercy seat? Is it in nature? Is it in, a, in relationships? Who are we following? Who are we letting? Who, who is telling us who we are? What shame are we coddling? I, I direct you to Christ. That is my job. And I know there are times in my life when it's been boring and dry. And I felt like I was speaking to the walls and the ceiling. But I want to tell you, practice the presence of Christ. Pray the prayers. He will meet you. Consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. This is a word literally about honor and sanctification or more uh, Mundanely, setting ourselves apart. How are, this is a word about honoring not other people first or necessarily exclusively, but honoring you, me honoring me as, as a bearer of the image of God, as the beloved of God, as child of God. And I, I've heard it said by, by wise teachers this, Treat yourself the way you would treat someone you love. So this thing which I am indulging, would, would I stand idly by while someone I love participates in this? This negative talk, this shame, would I allow someone I love? Would I allow my daughter to coddle that shame? So consecrate yourselves. Do the inner work. Reflect Journal. Um, several years ago, I started writing down, I started journaling, and I would just write best thing and the worst thing of the day. But I stopped saying best and worst because who am I to say what is worst? Like the worst thing for me 10 years ago was driving an extra 120 miles on my way to Oklahoma. But the thing is, now I love it because it's a story I got to tell you, you and you enjoyed. You see how God redeemed it? We don't know 
See, because brothers and sisters, we learn a lot through failure. But anyway, uh, it causes me to reflect, to think about my life. I just say, what, did I, what happened today that I liked? What happened that I didn't like? And, to, and also to be, to be open to the presence of God during those times. Consecrate yourself. Clear your head. Do the maintenance. Pray the prayers. And number three, step into the river. What movement do I need to make? What pattern interrupt? We love comfort. We love familiarity. Even if it is, it is a place of, of loss, destruction, addiction, even those places we, we, we find ourselves able to navigate them, step into the river. He said, hey, come with us to the gym. And it changed a lot of things in my life, that one movement, one change. Become a, a person who is differentiated. So um, this differentiated mode of, mode of being means that we, we step bravely. And it doesn't have to be huge things, but we step into new things. If we're shy, we start practicing at home. We say, all right, I'm, I'm going to learn how to shake hands. I'm going to learn how to look people in the eye. I'm going to repeat their name to them. It doesn't have to be huge things. But I'm afraid of this. I'm, I always shrink back. I always get anxious at this. But just steps, differentiated mode of being to become useful in as many different places as we can. Putting ourselves in new places where there is a chance to be embarrassed. But you know what happens after I'm embarrassed is I find out that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And I have learned. We have grown. <clears throat> and I, I know some of us may not believe this and sometimes I don't believe it. But I will say this, if we follow the ark, practice the presence of God, if we consecrate ourselves, clear our heads, do some inventory, when we step into the river, all of the kingdom of heaven will take note. And, it, and our movement creates movement. God and the universe will respond. I promise, I promise, I promise. I, I have seen more movement of God in my life in the last five years than I did in the first 47. And I say that with humility because I just appreciate it. God is speaking and God will respond to our moves. Let's pray. <clears throat> I, I uh, mostly want to focus in our prayer time on this word Gilgal. Those stones they set up, what do these mean? And they would say, oh, this is where God rolled away our shame. This is where God said, I know you've wandered, I know you've failed, but I have rolled away your shame. <clears throat> Lord, I pray to the God of mercy in Jesus' name for a work that none of us can do alone, but that in our surrendered posture right now that you will roll away some shame that you will whisper it's all useful my worst failures are useful my wanderings are useful roll away the shame for those of us who are stuck show us a move show us a step that we need to make we are paralyzed 
we have lost some hope, we had some dreams, just for the sake of life and growth and the potential to be embarrassed, <clears throat> which is a good thing for us. <clears throat> just show us one move this week. This week, open our eyes to one move that we can make. We thank you for your presence. We rest in your grace. We are your children. Amen.